0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after, on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind Community. Okay, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. Like the voice just said, I'm Anthony Corona, your host, and we have a pretty good show for you today. We're going to be ruminating on the importance of remembering 9-11, and later in the show, we're going to open it up to hot topics, um, topics affecting our ACB community. Before we get started, I wanted to mention a few things. We have recently spoken with Kim Charlson, and um, she was just quoted in a national article on voting and the voting process in Massachusetts, who has full electronic ballot return, um, subsequently using the Democracy Live system there in in her area. But um, the ease and, you know, the rights that we all look forward to one day hopefully united across the united states of america being able to have an electronic ballot return option so take a look uh for that article in our show notes um leslie spoon as always is collecting donations for the holiday auction so you can reach out to her and she'll be here on sunday edition on october 2nd to talk about the auction and some other cool stuff and we'll probably get some get up and get moving news with her as well um Three weeks from today, I have a really exciting show. Um, We're going to be breaking the show up in half, as we usually do. And the first half is going to be using a sighted guide volunteer and using Envision Glasses. There's a um, call an ally feature. And so what we're going to be doing is going through that feature and demoing how we can Effectively use some of our friends, whether it be with InVision glasses or with whatever you know, FaceTime or whatever use of technology will open up a eye-to-eye kind of experience. But how can we maximize? what do we What do we ask of our sighted volunteers if they are helping us in that way? How can we streamline the conversation so we get the best? So we're going to go through a bunch of scenarios. In the second half of that show, I'm really excited. This is something that I've been working on for a couple of months. Um, we're going to speak to a few folks who have guide dogs with dual purposes. Um, we're going to speak to a PTSD, um, a war survivor who has an amazing dog in, and some of the uh, trials and tribulations that they go through. We're going to also speak to someone who has a dual uh, purpose guide dog as well, who alerts for seizures. Um, and the third one is a surprise, but it is going to be a really, really cool and great conversation. So please join me then. And the last two weeks of October, there will be Sunday edition guest host um, Andrea De Klotz, who won the auction item guest host Sunday edition and hosted a couple of weeks ago is going to come back, uh, for the weekend of October, I believe it's 21st. And then the following weekend, Melissa Hudson, who also, uh, uh, who also guest hosted Sunday edition over the holiday season last year is going to come back and fill in for me so I can attend mid-year board meetings and, and such. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up on Sunday edition. Um, Sheila is here hosting with us. How are you doing today, Sheila? Anything interesting you want to talk about today?
2: No, I'm anxious to um, hear this conversation. And I do want to mention that tonight on Blind and Beyond radio show, Anthony will be my guest to talk about his experience during 9-11.
1: And um, do you want to shout out how they can experience Blind and Beyond?
2: Yes, you can ask your lady A to play W O K B 1680. And or you can go to the website blind and and you should be able to listen live on a there's a link on that page. So it's gonna be a very good show.
1: And that's at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. purpose of making that happen. I'm really excited to to join you guys tonight. Awesome. Katie. Katie Frederick is guest ho- is guest streaming for us as Byron is off on a New York City adventure, and we wish him, wish him all the fun that he deserves. Hey, Katie, how are you? Any um exciting BOP news to share with us?
3: Um Nope, I don't think so. We're just continuing to work on the blog. Um, that's a main project for us. We do have something exciting coming in October,
1: so stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thank you for stepping in we I love when you come to Sunday Edition. All right, folks, the first portion of this show we are going to recognize today, 9-11. And um, as some of you know, I was very honored to have received the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award Award this year at the uh, convention from the BOP. And um, the article was my experience 20 years uh, later from 9-11, and as I recount, in the article, I'll I'll briefly kind of give you my experience here and then we'll open it up for comments and and, um, recollections. But um, I had started a couple of months before um, working in Manhattan. Uh, I was from Staten Island, you know, lived in Staten Island for a very long time. And um, that morning, as always, I had headphones in, um, little earbuds before they were wireless that had, you know, the big long string connecting and had my music going and, was on the ferry, as it usually was at that time. And all of a sudden, a group, just a mass, a wave of people started running towards the front of the boat. And you could feel the engines of the boat stopping. And so by the time I kind of made my way up front and through the crowd, the first plane had already struck. And we were all in just a state of shock um, a collective state of shock there were, it was eerie how quiet it all was as we just stared watching and then people started whispering was it a plane was it a helicopter what happened um, and not long after we could see the second plane on approach and um, saw the second plane strike as the ferry sat in the middle of the harbor and the Staten Island ferry at that point had been running for a little over a hundred years. And it's the first time that the boat ever had to absolutely just stop and sit in the Harbor. Um, we were given a few announcements. We weren't sure what was happening at that point. The captain came over and told us we'd be sitting there for a while until they figured out what was going to happen. And then the first tower fell and the boat basically went back to Staten Island. Um, The way the ferry boats work, there's two actual pilot houses, one on each side. So the boat doesn't physically turn around. The captains go from, you know, the Manhattan side pilot house to the Staten Island side. And um, the boat started back up and we went back to Staten Island. The article I posted in the show notes uh, in the promo for today. So anybody who is interested in reading it can find it there. Um, but I, I, as I'm speaking right now, I can still see in my mind um, the smoke coming out of that first tower. I can still see the plane on approach that hit the second tower. When we got back to Staten Island, we all collectively just filed off the boat and, and the South shore of Staten Island has beautiful walking paths along the other side of the ferry terminal and, and we all kind of filed out and we're just standing there watching as folks were jumping. And then the second tower came down and, and I can still close my eyes and, and, and see it all. I, I can still bring up the, the smell a metallic, burning acidity, and I, I swear, you know, if you cut yourself, you can smell the smell of blood. I, I it, you can you could smell the smell of blood across the harbor. It, it was horrific and and absolutely life changing, and I thought twenty one years later, it was weirdly appropriate that it would fall on a Sunday. And after receiving the award this summer and realizing that the article touched so many people out there, I thought, well, if there's a Sunday edition on September 11th, we have to have a discussion. So if you would like to share your experience or what you think we have learned or what we still need to learn since that horrific episode please raise your hand and and join us sheila i definitely heard a hand go up so
2: yes i did i do see a hand Darrow, you may unmute
0: good afternoon everyone anthony i'd like to share my experience i have two different uh view or two different perspectives one is the fact that uh, at the time, I was in charge of all amateur radio emergency communications in the state of Connecticut, and we immediately mobilized because we knew that the cell phone towers would never handle the traffic that was going to be necessary. So we did that, and we mobilized that. I worked with the people in New York and Long Island to provide. We didn't We didn't provide the communications for the fire or police departments, anything like that. It was all the... Uh, organizations, uh, the periphery, if you want, uh, yes, Larry, yeah. it, like, the, like the Red Cross, some organization. So I was involved in that quite a bit, and that took quite a bit of time. And also at the time, uh, and I was in charge, we mobilized the people and gave people assignments and things like that, because we did, we did provide some communications to assist the agencies there. But what more of interest, which sometimes gets overlooked with 9-11, is the fact that We didn't know that it was over. And what I mean by that is we were under attack and we didn't know if more attacks were coming. And at the time I was working for a relatively speaking small police department as a police dispatcher. And I was immediately ordered into work, as was just about the entire department, because the entire country and especially police departments were totally mobilized because who's next? nobody knew that the threat was over. And, and, and we learned later, it was if the planes weren't grounded, it would have continued. But at that day, in that time, nobody had a clue whether there was more terrorism to come and things like that. So I worked a very, very long shift that day. And normally the chief would yell at us if we had the TV on, but he was actually in the dispatch center with us watching the TV that day. And so I'll always remember that day. And when the just a quick note, when the plane actually, uh, the first plane hit and the second plane hit, I actually was watching TV. And uh, I remember exactly where I was sitting when it happened. Just like you, you remember exactly where you were. But anyway, those are my two perspectives of, of what I did on 9-11. Thanks, you have an interesting perspective. How many calls came in
1: from, you know, residents within, you know, the police jurisdiction of what's happening are we safe you know how much communication was coming in from just
0: regular citizens one needing to know what was happening a lot and what and this is a good thing is that in during that day and following days citizens would call in anything they saw that was suspicious and that was really good the public was so much on alert and yes they were all for you know they didn't turn out to be anything but nobody knew that at the time and And we took a lot of calls. That's why I got ordered in, because they needed more dispatchers on duty.
1: Yeah. And you you brought up an interesting point. Um, And I debated whether or not to to add ancillary details into into my article. But cell phone um, cell phone reception went down immediately. Um, You know, I, I stayed in the ferry area for maybe an hour and a half. I, I honestly I, I time it felt like it was days and it felt like it was seconds at the same time. But by the time I got home, there were like 35 messages. I still had an answering machine at that point on my machine, you know, calls for my mom, my sister, aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, you know, who all all knew I, I went worked in the city and, and took the that ferry. Um, you know, and just what's going on and are you okay? My father actually worked in the Lower East Side, not that far from, from the site and bridges were closed. The ferry was shut down, trains stopped running. And so whoever was in New York, whoever was in Manhattan was trapped and there was no cell service and there were hardly any pay phones available at that point. So people were out of communications for hours and, and in some cases, you know, a day or more. um My father, hours and hours later, ended up walking over the Brooklyn Bridge, and and had to get somebody to come and pick him up from from Staten Island in Brooklyn. That was the only way to get out of the city. So, thank you for bringing that perspective to us. Can, too, I, because- can I can yeah. I give you
0: one more quick New York City story of that day? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is Grand Central Station. Of course, most commuters had made it to New York by the time this all happened by eight thirty. Mm-hmm. What Metro North did is they took every piece of equipment, every person that ever even knew how to run a train, and they just put them into Grand Central, all 40 tracks. They loaded up the trains, and they just went and stopped at every station. They they did that. They evacuated well over 500,000 people within two or three hours. It was one of the biggest success stories ever of a mass evacuation.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Stick around and, and sure listen thing. to one of the Taylor, who's up next?
4: Maria. Hi, Anthony, and everyone. Hi. Hi, definitely a very important show and an important conversation. Uh, you know, I remember, so I was 12 at the time, I was in middle school, and uh, you know what? And so I lived um, a couple of hours north of New York City um, in, in a small town called Rhinebeck. And, um, and just also some background that plays into this, that we are uh, immigrants from Bosnia and we had come during the war there um, in the early 90s. And so um, I just, you know, one of the things that it just sticks with me is just that utter kind of the, the not knowing, the, the confusion, because, you know, being... Um, in school, the teachers wanted to keep things as normal as possible. So it's not like we stopped class to watch the TV. And like you were saying, with this being before social media, and certainly cell phones and all of that, it was just this lack of information. Like I remember hearing, um, It's amazing, just these little details. You remember, I I was walking with my braillist. I don't even know where we were going, but I just remember we stopped in the lobby and I remember exactly who, you know, whispered to hers that, you know, a plane has hit the World Trade Center. And I remember, you know, people in in the the, the cafeteria and such at lunch being like, you know, they said it was an accident. Was it an accident? Was it not an accident? Because there was just such a lack of information coming through again, because the teachers were just trying to, keep things as as normal as possible. I remember my brother had said after, you know, our, uh, the Spanish teacher we had, he was like, you know, the planes have hit the world trade center. It's a horrible thing. And now we're going to uh, go back to Spanish class. And, you know, you think that's so heartless at the time, but I think they were just probably in shock themselves now as I look back on it and they were just trying to um, maintain a semblance of normalcy. And I think it really just started to. um, the impact of it really just came to me when i got home and we turned on you know the news and it was just it was just unbelievable i mean you know we have this you know as, as immigrants you kind of have this um you know, to some extent, utopian vision of where you're coming to. And it was like, my parents were like, oh my gosh, it's happening here too, you know, in terms of a, a war and and then an attack and such. It was just unfathomable. And, um, you know, I remember we stood outside just with, you know, some candles. I mean, we just felt so helpless. Like what, what do we do? And I remember the cars, you know, going by and um just honking their horns in, in solidarity. And, you know, my um family in, in Bosnia and Croatia, you know, you think New York, you think New York City, and they don't know. And of course they were hearing this on the news and, you know, calling us to see if everything was okay. Oh, and I forgot to mention during the school day, um, one of the things, so um, you know, at one point um there was a thought that one of the hijacked flights was the Delta flight. And um One of uh, my classmates, his dad uh, was a Delta pilot at the time. And so I I definitely remember his, you know, distress and worry and such as to, you know, whether his, his dad was alive and whether that was his plane and such. And so Um, yeah it was just definitely and you know after we had found out that um, one of the firefighters was from this um, family that we knew who who was originally from um, you know Croatia and that he you know hadn't made it and such and uh, but I just for me what what is uh, in my mind is just this kind of surreal feeling this just like this kind of this like out of you know body experience like I, I can't be Witnessing this, you know, this is not. How is this happening? This can't be so, happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I really hope that we you know, take. I what is something that um you know sticks with me in the immediate aftermath. You know, the kindness that people showed toward each other and the way that people came together. And you know, with the way there's so much of division now, and such so just the climate is so different from that and I hope that there can be some pausing and reflection on this day and for people to you know really just think about how they want to interact with others and you know the power of of kindness and, and unity because like yes we may have different opinions on certain things but that's what makes the world interesting and in the end you know we are all human
1: yeah you know you bring up a, a couple of of interesting points that that deserve reflection I, I would imagine around the country, if not around the world, you know, teachers of all levels, you know, kindergarten through college professors, you know, as this news was coming in, what do you do? Yeah. Um, I do know from from some of my younger cousins, they, they were very, very varied, varied responses within New York City itself. And when you think about it, just about every child in the New York City school system either knew someone Or, you know, tangibly, you know, one or two, you know, bodies removed knew someone who would be involved. And so, you know, how do you handle that? How do you handle a class of of kids that may have parents, grandparents, you know, brothers and sisters, whatever, aunts and uncles that may be in that building or maybe a first responder and going to that building And you, you know, you spoke about how New York came together. And and it wasn't just New York City, it was the Tri-State area. It was all of it, it was the entire country, don't get me wrong. But you know, the mode and the mood in New York City immediately came to be we're all in this together and we're gonna take care of each other. And when I think about there were families days and days. You know, we didn't get immediate news, um, and and that days and days people wondered it could, you know, could my relative be one of the lucky ones? Um, can will this and and just the the devastation? It didn't happen on an immediate factor, and it, it, it just went it was ongoing for days into weeks, and, and that sight and, and oh, God. So thank you for for those perspectives, Maria.
4: Sure, thank you.
1: Sheila, who's next?
4: Terry. Terry, you can... Thank you, Sheila. Thank Mm -hmm. you,
3: Gabe, for... um, I mean, Anthony, (laughs) for um, (laughs) having this call. September 11th means... um, I can't believe it's been 21 years. Um, As a healthcare provider, I was walking into a hospital room And I looked up at the TV and it was the video or the actual live shot of the second plane going into the building, the second tower, the first tower. And I asked, I said, what movie are you watching? And the patient said, it's not a movie, it's live TV. And all I could do was sit down, hold his hand and just tears were just rolling out of my eyes. And then, of course, my pager, even though I was here in Orlando, Florida, went off to report back to work because, like Dara was saying, the entire country, even though because the president was in Sarasota, we every person that was in a a public service role was called in as an emergency because we did not know what the next thing was going to expect. So, um, yeah. Lots of stories. I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to focus and and share what they need to share. But every tragedy um, that we experience, we always take an opportunity of learning. And the biggest thing is, is we got Facebook now where um, when a tragedy happens, like we had the floods and the tornadoes and stuff like that, when you're on Facebook, it sends out a message to the zip code of your profile where you can respond, I'm okay, or I need help. Um, the biggest one we learned on 9-11 and um was to take your phone, which now the software is updated, where you have emergency contacts. If you still have a flip phone or one of those regular um an, an I don't know what they're called. Analog. Nope. Analog. <laughs> and what you want to do is you want to put ice in case of emergency. So that way if we find that phone, we can see, we can press the button and call that and help with the process. And all I have to say is, is um, Hurricane Andrew in 1992 was my first tragedy that I was first, you know, first truly involved. Um, they pulled all of the healthcare providers from Orlando that were able to go down there because the hospital was completely destroyed. And That was the most devastating um, thing I had ever seen. But one of the things I learned is we as humans rise up together and overcome tragedy. All we have to do is be there for one another and take it one step at a time. And Homestead is a totally different place than it was since 1992. But trying to send home the staff and everyone you need to go home, and they're like, why, I have no home to go to, so um, there's several tragedies that I experienced in my 50 years of my life, Um, you know, Columbia blowing up, I actually was standing in St. Cloud Middle School, um, looking up in the sky, and actually watched it, Um, and that's when I decided to change my career from becoming an astronaut to political science, (laughs) And then I went into healthcare. (laughs) But um, thank you, Anthony, so much for this call. Thank you so much, um, Sheila, for being our hostess. And Katie, thanks for streaming.
1: Thank you. All right, Sheila, who's up next? Meryl.
5: Good morning, Anthony and Sheila and Katie. Um, This is, and everyone, this is a very, poignant day for me because being a former New Yorker, um, I was not in New York then. I was in Maryland already, and um, I was home from work. I was on leave from Social Security, and I had had major surgery, um, so I was out of work for like six weeks, and I was, wasn't even listening to the news. I was watching the History Channel, and all of a sudden, one of my good friends who was blind, called me and told me what happened, and I thought, oh, my God, and immediately I was concerned because my sister worked in Lower Manhattan, so my mom called me, and my parents at that time, they're now deceased, but they were in Florida already. They had moved in 1994 from New York to Florida, and they called me and because they were checking on my sister, who was sighted. And they thank God she was okay. She decided not to go to work that day. She must have had a premonition or something. But, you know, all these tragedies, you're right, everything teaches us. And we have to be, we're living in crazy times right now. We have to be vigilant and careful in everything we do, but we're not going to be deterred from going out and doing the things we do, although... COVID has put a a, a damper, but I wear a mask whenever I go out and I'm doubly vaccinated and boosted and, you know, but basically, um, and also, Anthony, I want to tell you that your article was very poignant that you wrote and congratulations on the award. So my heart is with New York and Maria, thank you for talking and um, God bless everybody. Thank you.
1: Sure. -hmm. Thank you, Merrill. You're welcome. Did you have any friends that, or um, secondary acquaintances? Did you lose anyone that day? No,
5: thank God. I, I thank God I didn't. That would have been tragic. But no, I didn't. Mm -mm. Very, very sad day.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing.
5: You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: You know every year they read out the names, and in my in my life i I know dozens of of folks on a secondary or in a, you know a peripheral level, but there are four names that I wait for every year that were direct people within my life, and I hope you'll indulge me as as I, as I say their names. Kevin Miners, who was a firefighter, Gina Tomlinson. Um, was a manager that I had worked with at one point. Jason Browning and David Fitzpatrick. Um, and those lights were extinguished in a moment, but the ripple effect we still feel today. My my cousin, Kevin, had been married for a year and four or five months. and His first child was born seven months to the day on the 11th. So the ripple effects are still felt to this day. All right, Sheila, who's next? And if you're, I'm sorry, if (laughs) if you're out there on ACB media and you'd like to join us, you can find the Sunday edition link on ACB Conversation, ACB Leadership, it's on uh, the Facebook group at some point. It's the standard Sunday edition link. We use the same link for every show. So if you'd like to join us, please click that link. And Maria, you're up.
4: Oh, I had spoken uh, before. I guess my, I, I I will lower my hand.
1: <laughs>
4: Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> oh. All right, Sheila, who's next? Actually,
2: there's two Marias here. Oh, so- Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the other Maria that had her hand raised, but otherwise you don't have. Oh, there she is. Yep. Maria, go ahead. You're muted. Be sure you got the got it. (laughs) That gets everybody. Well, that's Do the we only
1: have... hand you have right now. All right. Um, I, I want to ask some of the folks who have already spoken if they'd like to share with us what we, what we think as a country we've learned, and maybe where we still have some learning to to explore, based upon nine eleven and 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 COVID. I I think in in a way, COVID kind of mirrored as far as community is concerned it mirrored coming together and i mean i think about the first responders and and how you know folks terry can speak to the medical profession folks went to work and you know instead of having a 12-hour shift they were there for 36 40 you know 40 some hours catching a nap here and there and you know so if 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 you'd like to raise your hand and speak to that please feel free
2: Maria, if you're getting a notification that the host is not allowing you to unmute, that's because you have not gotten the got it and it might be easy for you to go out and come back in.
1: All right, I see that Terry raised her hand back up. So
2: Terry, go ahead.
1: Terry, going once. <laughs> there we go. Nope. Okay. There we go.
2: Well, she was unmuted.
3: Can you hear me now?
6: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry
3: about that. Um, so ironically, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk. Um, I lost my sight suddenly on September 26, 2017. So my mom tells me that losing my sight saved my life. Because of all the emergency teams that I was on. But what I did was, I supported the medical field by being on all these Facebook groups and chats and WhatsApp. And, you know, people would call me. And the biggest thing that we learned and the biggest thing that was greatly appreciated is how those, how everyone started realizing what you had to sacrifice to keep the medical field rolling. A lot of people think telemedicine was like just popped up because of COVID. We had been working for over 25 years to get all the rules and regulations for us to be able to do telemedicine. And it is amazing how that tool has revolved. Um, The biggest thing was, is everyone calling and telling me how awesome it was when they would go into work or come out of the work and people were honking the horns and ringing and telling them, keep going. And we've been through SARS, we've been through H1N1, we've been through swine flu, we've been through bird flu. There was a lot of um, viruses that we had been through. The scary part of COVID was we couldn't figure out from what we had learned from the other um, viruses is, How it replicated, and that's why it took so long to get a vaccine together, and you know all the information. And it just everybody, yeah, wearing a mask is very important. But please remember, good hand washing technique first. (laughs) So I won't get on my soapbox, but anybody who you know you see the firefighters and the police and you know all the hospital teams. the biggest five-letter word that they loved to hear was "thanks." I guess that's six letters. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, somebody reached out to me after after the article was first run um, in the White King Bulletin down here in Florida, and the you know we ended up having a conversation about disaster disaster preparedness and how after nine eleven. Um, you know, it was such a prevalent theme, whether it be in schools or hospitals or, you know, government agencies, et cetera, et cetera. And that because of of the 9-11 situation, you know, the country became so much more prepared for, of course, God forbid, another attack like that, but also for natural disasters and fires. And so from the medical perspective, did it change disaster preparedness and, and regulations um, as much as, as it did in New York? And
3: Ironically, it did not change, but just increased the number of times in a year that we did practice drills. Um, it unified the efforts. It unified the resources. But that really came off of um, when... Um, FEMA really took what Hurricane Andrew that was really the big turner and if we didn't have that hurricane in 1992 we wouldn't have I mean there's so many facts that didn't come out of Hurricane Andrew and also Katrina in um, Louisiana um, to know how to have back order um, you know the uh, the semi-trucks to put the remains in to to dispose of and identify later um, how to do decontamination Um, we would have quarterly drills um, with the team that would be the decontamination team. I wouldn't say anything changed except the barriers of collaboration between city, uh, county and state and federal. Um, It unified, we see what the replications were. Um, Some of the challenges we faced with COVID um, that was unique was just our supply because the whole world stopped. And we ran out of saline, they ran out of epinephrine, they ran out of um, just basic medications in the United States because of all everything being produced outside for cost effectiveness. And I think now they realize, okay, if this ever happens again, we need to have our able to produce it here. And that, I would say, probably impacted. But when it comes to policy and procedures, um, we, we um, this would be great for us in the community to reach out to your local os- hospitals and EOCs, emergency um, uh, centers, and they do drills. And I am thinking now, I don't think we've ever had anybody from um, low vision or blind be one of the victims um, we would practice when a gym would collapse on a large group um, you know each local area they do different drills um, I was a I was a patient where we had a big airplane crash out at the airport and you know of course because I was part of the flight team I got to fly in the helicopter but you pretty much are an actor or an actress and that might be something really interesting to be a part of a disaster preparedness. Um, There's two levels. The first level is a round table discussion, where you just talk out the situations. But then there's the real enactment. And there are tons of meetings going on in your counties that you're not aware of, but we are always, I don't know if Darrow's here, we are always preparing for the next and learning from what happened. And I hope that answered your question, Anthony.
1: It does, and stick around because I have a, a few more perspectives that we can explore, but I think I heard a couple of hands go up. Sheila, who's who's next?
4: Terry
7: Pacheco.
1: Welcome, Terry.
7: Hi, Anthony. <clears throat> I have a couple of things in reminiscence. One of them is a reminiscence of 21 years ago today, and that was we were in the ACB national office that day, and our office was on the 10th floor. And that's what I remember is as be, as all of us coming in and standing, everyone standing in the window in my office, watching the plumes of smoke come up from the Pentagon. We were only less than two miles from the Pentagon. Yeah. And leaving there, eventually leaving the office And going down to try and get a bus because we were afraid to, we didn't want to take the sub, the uh, metro and be stuck underground. Again, because nobody really knew was this the end or is there going to be another attack? And we waited for the buses. We ended up, two of us uh, thumbed home. um, I I think three, Sharon, and her sister and Patricia, I think all walked to Arlington um, from, the, from, from the office, which is a good walk. Um, I know each one of us, one woman that worked with us, Barbara Wadipak, did not want to go home alone. She came to our, to our apartment and stayed with us until late that night. And it was, it was just so unbelievable. It really was. And yet, because we were watching it in New York and experiencing it in Washington at the same time, it was um, quite a time. But I think the other point that I want to bring up, and I think I can get through this, (laughs) is 21 years, 20, 21 years later, what have we really learned yeah. From 9-11 that's still with us today. I, my sister, fortunately, was on, was flying in from Logan into New York that morning and got on, the, um, my other sister was driving her in and they went in early so she got an earlier flight. And she was in a conference room uh, with her, the company that she works, worked for. Right across the harbor, right across the river from the towers, and that's when they looked out a window, and somebody said, "What the hell's going on?" (laughs) Kind of thing, Um, and they went up on the roof of the building they were in to watch, and they saw the second tower, the second plane go into the the second plane go into the second tower, and but you know, twenty years later, now, twenty one now, but over the past year what has actually happened and it's a, must be happening with, I don't know how many thousands of people. My sister now has a lung disease that's yep. eventually going to, it's eventually going to do her in that um, the CDC has congratulated her. And I kid you not, that's the way the letter starts. Congratulations. You've been accepted into our, her, into our health program. Um, with this NSIP, from her being in New York, that entire she was there for about ten days after the from starting on the day of the uh, attack, and here's twenty one years later, and it's still affecting us, affecting people in all sorts of ways, and you know yeah. both mentally and physically. And it's something that I think we tend to, you know, we have a short we have short term media memory, but it's something that we really need to keep in mind that so many things that affect us at one point can continue to affect us throughout our lives in various ways.
1: There, that, that's an that's that's a great point, Terry. Actually, there are so many first responders or innocent bystanders who, who worked or, or lived in close enough proximity that years and years later, there are so many that are gone that have already passed on because of complications related to the after effects of 9-11. Um, and so many out there that are sick. And, and I know, you know, there are class action lawsuits in New York and, and in other places, but um, like our military after the initial yeah. shock runs out, we often do forget. We all, we often do let that, that short-term memory, you know, fixation go. And we forget to take care of those, you know, so many people. It, it was, it was a mantra in New York at the time, you know, our police and our firefighters and our, you know, par- paramedics, et cetera. They didn't run from the danger they ran directly into the danger, and because of that, some, uh, very many of them suffer lifelong effects. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to switch um, or, or shift topics for a minute. You, you brought up something else that I think we also tend to not forget, but not place, you know, with the importance of the towers in New York itself. There was Pennsylvania, and of course, there was the Pentagon. Um, one of the things I wanted to discuss today and we'll get to in a few moments was the, the love in New York, the, the strength, the solidarity, what, what was the, the next days, the aftermath, like in DC?
7: I think there was, there was a lot of that. There was, I think a lot of fear because for weeks after that, um, you would, wa- would be walking to work in the morning and on the st- there were hum- the hum- Humvees on the corner on the corners of the streets we had the washington post diagonally across the street from us so we were pretty well armed around us um there was uh, there was that but there was there was a certain there was a definitely elevated concern for one another i think the thing that um because i think it brought back A lot of different emotions, especially for some of us who, you know, were beyond our 20s, shall we say, at that time, um, who had had experienced one thing I've always remembered about that in the day is when we were walking a couple of blocks to the bus stop was it was so quiet, but you could hear every car radio on. And it so reminded me of the uh, JFK assassination and it was very much like that i think in dc people were just astounded at what had happened um but very much pulled together um and there was you know a lot of uh, you know should, uh, mixed emotions You know, it's kind of, I really do it. In a lot of ways, I compare it back to JFK's assassination. You know, there were people who always thought that there was something, you know, that it was terrible that Ruby killed Oswald. Um, That kind of thing. And there were others who praised Ruby for killing Oswald. Uh, And I think there was a lot of that that took place, too, in D.C. There was a, a, a caring for one another, but the overall... Um, pol- politics of it, if you will. I think it di- started some of the division that we unfortunately still have
1: today. And, you know, I know that the easy answer to this question is going to be politics itself. But, you know, I, I know from my parents and, and aunts and uncles and grandparents, a lot of the country felt that same feeling. JFK, Challenger, you know, there are just a few moments in history where the entire world stops, where the entire world slash country comes together. You know, and 9-11, I think the entire country did come together in, in various ways, and especially New York, D.C. Um, you know, it changed the way we all felt about life. It changed the way we felt about, about being a New Yorker, about being from D.C. What, do you have any perspective on why do you think it's different now? Something like COVID, or if God forbid, another natural disaster or, or or attack happens, do you think we'll come together the same way we did 21 years ago? And if not, you know, what are some of your thoughts on on w- why we're different than we were then?
7: Mm. I think we would come together like we have, like we did with the initial the you know like we did in 2020 with um covid but i mean look at covid today you've got people on on all in on all ends of the spectrum on that i i think we would probably come together but i think it would be much more brief than it was back then i mean i know west new yorkers and bostonians still love each other i always remember <laughs> the i always remember the first game at Fenway Park when they put up the big banner, "We Love New York."
1: <laughs> yeah,
7: after nine eleven, um, but I don't think I don't th- I th- I think we I think we've become I don't know we've become so much more diversified, um, shall we say, in in our viewpoints, and that and w- we look for differences in each other today that. I think is not always the best way for to see unification work. If that makes we'll sense.
1: To you. Uh, absolutely, please stick around. I know some hands went up. Um, Sheila, who's next?
2: Maria, let's see if you can unmute.
8: Whoops, <laughs> did that. I-
2: you did well. You did for a second. Okay, there you
8: am go. I unmuted now? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'm so sorry, oh. and thank you for telling me to come out and come back in because the got button wasn't there before um, I live whoops, I live in the West Village, what was the frozen zone um, and am I still on because uh-huh. the, yes. oh, yeah, you're thank here you. So yeah, I live in the West Village and that morning was primary day. So I voted, it was a beautiful morning. And I came home and I was gonna head up to the lighthouse to read. And I heard on the radio that this plane hit. And then I got a call from Frank Senior who was saying, you know, TV's not working and whatever. And I said, well, a plane hit the lighthouse. I mean, hit uh, the Trade Center. And at that point I had my windows open and I heard the second plane. And um, I called the lighthouse to let them know what had happened. And I guess just, you can't believe what's going on. Dumb me, I took the subway uptown. And uh, by the time I got up there, everything was shutting down. They were sending people home. And the subways were shut down then because the danger of uh, uh, that the system was compromised and flooding. And in fact, my train line, the one um, was damaged for a long time after that and no train. Um, But so I walked home and um, the crowds of people, you know, they didn't want, any traffic heading downtown except for emergency vehicles. And they were diverting everything else off of Manhattan. And people were just walking in the street. And, you know, if you're totally blind, you're counting blocks and you're using this orientation. So just walking in the middle of the streets. Oh, excuse me. Oh.
1: No, it's OK.
8: Was disconcerting, and um, three different people helped me. Uh, One was a woman who walked me down to 42nd, and then she had to veer off east, and then another gentleman, and then the last gentleman um, I see every once in a while still in the village. Um, And we were talking, you know, like going to hospitals to donate blood, doing uh, whatever we could. And the 14th was locked down, except for emergency. So anything below. And by that afternoon, you had armed military (laughs) protecting the area, the fighter jets flying over. Big battleships came into the harbor, which was amazing. Um, My fire station on Greenwich lost every firefighter. My police precinct on 10th Street lost two officers. My best friend lived lived at that time. She's alive. She's moved. Um, She lived a block and a half from the Trade Center. And um, she later married an iron worker who spent three months on the pile there. Um, And there's a church downtown uh, where a lot of the first responders um, took respite for the weeks that they were working there. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful memorial. This church, um, True. Yeah. where I am, you know, for three months at least, those buildings were still burning, and the smell was yep. just hideous. But um, on Christopher too, one of the other things, I still get very nervous when I hear multiple sirens going, you know, rushing. Somewhere, but uh, back then, too um, if you later on, as people were working on the pile, whether they could find com- bodies or partial remains, when uh, you would hear sirens coming up town on the highway, these were uh, that they had found remains and remains America, yep. um. And at the end of my block on the West Side Highway, uh, people just for days would have offerings for the first responders, food, respite, whatever they could do. Um, But uh, just the fact, and I wasn't there, but uh, at that spot downtown, but the boats and whatever that came over from New Jersey to evacuate people Mm -hmm. um, from down by the Trade Center. Um, It just really was absolutely amazing. Um, And I will say, and I've mentioned it before, There's, uh, I think on the karaoke, there's a beautiful song Mary Chapin Carpenter, who wrote the Grand Central Station. And yeah. it's about Jim, who's uh, my best friend, married the iron worker um, who worked for three months on the pile. And um, he was HIV before this. You know, see, he was autoimmune. He was compromised, compromised. He's still doing today, but to, to still go there and spend all that time, um, you know, just just amazing.
1: Uh, Thank you, Maria. You you are giving us a perspective that's really raw. And and thank you for opening up your vulnerability and sharing with us.
8: And I do want to say that, you know, for weeks, downtown was frozen below 14th to, you could not, get there unless you live there and your vehicles were searched and um but you know you were just grateful for the military that had come in to to help out
1: yeah it took months for the one in the nine line to to come back to life and and all you know another there's so many things that that go uh, less recognized than they could or should because the overwhelming you know, effect of that day itself, but all non-essential city employees were asked yes. to take shifts on the pile. Yes. My father was a, a supervisor for housing at the time and he worked for, for weeks on, on the pile and all of that was put on barges. Most of it sent yes. to the landfill in Staten Island, but, you know, some of it was sent to uh, Virginia, some of it was sent to landfills in New Jersey, but they, they 110 stories each, they yes. had to excavate and and like you said, the West Side Highway, but under below 14th was filled with people making coffee, making soup, filling, you yes. know, it's September, going into October, going into November. It was cold yeah. when they were, you know, excavating and you'd hear the sirens every time they they found remains. You knew what that meant um, yeah. because they, I, I still had sight at the time and the way that it would, you'd have a, a, a police escort, you'd have a, a cop car, basically clearing the west side highway for the ambulance um and all of that was taken to i believe and if i'm wrong somebody can can but i believe that the identification process was happening at the jacob javits center which is up the west side highway um you know about halfway up manhattan and so every time you you know every time you saw a police car leading an ambulance that you you knew more remains had been found and this went on for months and months and months and the other thing he said the smell the smell permeated below Fourteenth Street for God a, a, over a year mm-hmm. just the the fire smell the, the it's an unmistakable thing and so thank you for sharing your perspective. Thank you Sheila, who's up next? Pat
5: <laughs> Pat, you can
2: unmute.
6: Well, um, I is I wanted to comment about 9-11 and after that, are we allowed to discuss another subject?
1: Sure, we're, we're gonna do some hot okay, topics all right, all right. In, in a few um, minutes.
6: Okay, thank you. Um, numerous things here. Um, a friend of mine's parents, a farm adjacent and the meeting place of the farm was where 93 crashed and they were actually eating breakfast. Play and not that they witnessed it, they heard it. Um, in 2004, there was a terrorist attack in my neighborhood. It didn't get national news. And I actually saw one of the people, and uh, afterwards there was a lot of fear because we didn't know if people were going to uh, not like 9 like 11. One of the aftermaths was the Homeland Security when we had a lot of anarchy in my city live near a park. But that park and my building was protected by Homeland Security every weekend in the summer of 2020. And we'd take a coffee and donuts and thank them. Um, on 9 12, everybody just was just like loving and kind and, you know. Boston strong. I mean, that's what we all, you know, walked around saying after the bombing in Boston. To our sister in New York, I totally race you and what everybody went through in New York. And uh, just it's, it hits me very hard, you know, on nine. My thanks to the. Uh, I mean, I'm emotional about it. Uh, my thanks to the. Lady who spoke about her experience losing her eyesight, you know, five years ago. I mentioned telehealth, and I want to be very brief. Um, the CDC set up treatment sites where you get tested and get the COVID pills, which are supposed to help mitigate the risk of long haul COVID. These sites do not permit phone call appointments. Major drugstore chains. As of yesterday, we will not make appointments for people to get into a test-to-treat site, which our taxpayers' dollars are paying for. Many of them are accessible. There are people in this country who do not own or use computers. And I got my state to use the 211 system. Live operators made appointments for the vaccine. It took me 10 months. Three other states copied it. And... I hope everybody will make sure that your test-to-treat site near you is accessible. Um, Final point, I don't want to monopolize, I really don't. And I love the ACB and everybody in it. And I've written a couple of board members because I feel strongly on this. We passed a very good addition to the Code of Conduct at our convention this summer. It allows for conflict resolution for the lesser conditions will tell you, 32 years ago, I was having a party in my hotel room, different time, different organization. An individual entered because somebody left the door on latch, demanded a drink, and was very impaired. Asked who he was, and he smashed my face. There were witnesses. He assaulted me with witnesses. I could not prosecute because I couldn't afford the return to that city. Remained a member. I cannot tell you. how uh, I got over it, of course, but it's damning to sit next to somebody who, you know, disrespects women to this day, and you know, assaulted me, knocking me out. The police were there. The nurse was there. The police wanted to be the prosecutor. All the people at the party stayed with me, ready to testify and I could not win. I want a strong co- code of conduct. And I love all the sacrifices that people who serve on our board make and I thank you for this call and I love the ACB community chats because we're making history. And, uh, so Pat, I'm going to ask you, you to... for commemorating Absol- 9-11. I'm,
1: I'm going to ask you to stick around because the, the code of conduct conversation is something that I um, <laughs> I have a, a strong um feeling for and and so when we merge into hot topics, I I do want to touch on that. If so please well, stick well, around. A lot
6: of time. I don't want to monopolize, but thank you so much for this call. If you want me to stick around, I'll be on hold. But this is yeah, please. a fair privilege,
1: sir. Thank you very much. I I wanna give um I wanna give folks a, a few more minutes to to speak about nine eleven. Um anything that you think we We've learned, haven't learned, need to learn, or if you want to share personal reminiscence before we segue into hot topics. Sheila, who's who's next on our hand list?
2: Pam Coffee.
1: Hi, Pam. Hello. Welcome back.
9: Thank you. Uh, well, this is the first time I've spoken up today, uh, but uh, I now and I live nowhere near either New York. DC or Pennsylvania, where the um, plane landed on the in the field. Uh, but I think what we learned initially with 9/11, and sadly we have forgotten it in the intervening years, is that we all pulled together. We laid. Politics aside, you Mm -hmm. weren't on on 9-11, you weren't Democrat, you weren't Republican, you weren't independent, you weren't anything. Everyone was pulling together, everyone was grieving for all of those innocent lives lost, but by the time COVID hit, which is in its own way, equally devastating. It's just over a longer period of time.
1: Uh,
9: All of a sudden, everything, even the vaccine, you know, the CDC, the whole, everything has become politicized and it's, it's just crazy. And I've thought about that so much over the last couple, two and a half years. Uh, what happened? I mean, 9-11, we were all pulling together. The day Kennedy was assassinated, a lot of you aren't old enough to remember that. I remember it well. Uh, every Everyone laid politics aside, uh, or at least most people did. The ones you heard about did. Uh, and when the uh, Challenger exploded and when the Columbia exploded and, and uh, all the other uh, major tragedies. Uh, Martin Luther King, you know, um, yeah. all of those. Uh, people laid, well, it, it, in 68 uh, it wasn't so much because there was an awful lot of rioting going on that was already going on, but that one aside, sadly, uh, that one just happened. Um, but uh, but now everything has become politicized, and and every time you turn around, someone's being shot or someone's being stabbed, or, or the crime rate where in the area where I live. Uh, Well, in my immediate uh, couple of mile radius is, knock on wood, it's still very safe. But you go in other parts of our metro area, you you literally hold your breath because you wonder, am I going to get through here? I'm just minding my own business, but am I going to get through here and get back home without someone shooting me? And I, and I wouldn't even know the gun was there. Uh, but yes, I, I just, I, I don't, it's just hard to fathom how in 21 short years, we've gone from pulling for each other uh, some sense of unity uh, to just factions everywhere just everything is is broken up and politicized and i don't know i i hope to goodness we never have another major thing like 9-11 but i can't imagine what would happen now with the climate the way it is if we did and i'm gonna shut up and let someone else have the floor
1: Thank you so much for for sharing your perspective. I I agree. Thank you. We were very much able to to say, you know, Republican, Democrat, Independent.
9: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're American.
1: We're American. Yes.
9: Yes. We're the American people.
1: Yeah. Uh Thank you.
2: Absolutely. Thanks.
1: Sheila, who's up?
2: Debbie
10: Detheridge. Thank you, um, Anthony, for doing this program. Um, it's been a great program. And like everyone else, I remember where I was uh, that day. I was on my way to work. Uh, company that I worked for uh, had a contract with the VA switchboard and walked in and TV was on and TV's never on unless something major is going on. And they asked me, they're like, well, do you know what's going on? And I said, no. So they told me and it was just a weird, you know, feeling leaving work that day with no planes flying in the sky, and just um, I was just, you know, and listen, going home and listening to all the news and people coming together, and um, just thank you for doing this program because they usually in communities they always have, you know, uh, activities going on in your local community, but people may not be able to get to those activities. So this is a way that people can participate. So just thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you very
1: much. Sheila?
10: That's all
2: for now.
1: All right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna say one more time. If, if you want to reflect on 9-11, please raise your hand quickly. Um, it's, wow. Um, a lot of emotion and, and I love what um, was just said that, you know, we can't always get to community celebrations and that's one of the, one of the beauties of our ACB community and, and having ACB media that we can have calls like this and, and we can grieve together, share together, hope for a better future together and hope for, the tide to turn back to a place where we're not wrong for being red or blue we're American no matter what and we can respect each other's political differences but come together to be American when we need to be American I heard Merrill's hand go up so before I, I you know swerve over into topics Meryl do you want to give us a final thought about nine eleven? 11 yes
5: um, well first of all Maria H you're um Ah, uh, thing was so poignant, uh, description of everything because I um although I wasn't in New York then, I, I know the West Village area, you know, very familiar with it. But one thing I wanted to say, Anthony, was that um when relatives came from out of town in New York, we used to go to the restaurant. Well we just went once, but Windows on the World, which is right world. on the top yep. of the World Trade Center and it revolved around and it, you know, I loved it. And then to see those towers and everything destroyed, it was just so emotional for me because I had actually been to the restaurant, you know, so thank you for letting me share.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much.
5: You're welcome.
1: So we're going to talk about hot topics that uh, are ACB topics or blindness related topics. Um, But Pat, earlier brought up a a really interesting piece of conversation that I think we can explore a little bit for those who listened to the board meeting or at least the board meeting part one, because it went on longer than I think anyone expected. So part two is coming up. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, I think it's Tuesday night at 9 PM. Um, but one of the conversations was about the code of conduct. Um, First and foremost, any organization that um, is as large as ours and and has such an expansive reach has a code of conduct and and the code of conduct needs to be in place for serious violations. But the crux of the conversation was to incorporate a grievance portion to the code of conduct so that the more lengthy investigative, um, you know, penal kind of resolution process doesn't necessarily have to be held for minor or or lesser infractions. Uh, I do know that when that portion of the conversation concluded, uh, there was a motion that had been made for the current documents to be um, frameworked. And, and at one point they were saying socialized, but basically brought to the membership for review and, and, and to be able to comment before the October board meeting, so I know that folks have had questions on when those town meetings will happen. I don't know if our leadership is is going to come come out with a, a timeline for that. But um, Pat, if you if you had any further comments on, on that conversation, please feel free to unmute because I I do think it's important that you know we have a, a clear and transparent understanding of of where the process is now. I know. Folks on the board and and um, folks adjacent to the board have worked really hard to look at the process and find the best way as an organization to move forward. Pat, any comments? And anybody else who would like to participate in this portion of the discussion, please raise your hand. And again, if you're out there listening through ACB Media, feel free to click on that Sunday edition link and, and join us as well. Any hands, Sheila?
2: She's here. Pat, you're muted if you want to make any com- Maybe she doesn't have any comments to make. I don't know All right, well, she is here. Know-
1: she knows how to raise her hand, so when she mm-hmm. does, we will definitely come back to her. Who's up next?
2: Terry. Suarez, not Bichico. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hi, traveling Terry. <laughs> Are you going to mute?
0: All right. Well, she's gone. All right. Um, Darrow. Okay. Thank you, Sheila. Mm -hmm. A couple things I'd like to bring up. Um, One about the code of conduct, there was a lot of talk about the framework and the process for this. And that, that also was supposed to be shared with the membership. And uh, I know that at least one board member has been on this show already today. And uh, I'm hoping that people will, this can be made a lot more transparent because I listened to the board meeting and, it seems to be kind of a mystery to me. It's just what's really going on? What is the framework? What is, you know, what is this new word social, socializations come up? What is, what does all this mean and what's happening? I, I really feel that in this particular case that, that we the board and, well, I'll just say ACB, ACB itself is not being that transparent to the members. And what's the harm in circulating this thing? It's market up draft have these town hall meetings. Let's go. Let's, you know, what, what takes so long on this? And Anthony, if, if I could, could I bring up another quick topic? Sure. Okay. And and, and you actually clued me into not clued me in, but maybe think about this is that I think that we are using the term ACB community incorrectly. And what I mean by that is that it seems to have manifested itself to community means this small subset of ACB members that participate in Zoom calls. I don't participate in very many Zoom calls at all, but I still consider myself to be part of the ACB community. You're you're a member of the ACB community. I think everybody on this call is a member of the ACB community, regardless of whether or not they participate in Zoom calls. And I think that, you know, as that particular aspect of ACB grows, I think we want to remember that the ACB community is a lot more than just these subset of members which are is all fine and dandy who participate in these zoom calls. Maybe we should think about making that type of thing something like an affiliate like and and handling it like that, but the ACB community I really feel strongly should include every member of the American Council of the blind that 's just my my two cents. <laughs>
1: You know, I I would um, very much agree with that, um, with that sentiment. I think, you know, our community came together, and by when I say community, I mean I feel personally that it, once you become a member of ACB or an ally of ACB or a donator, to ACB, once you have interacted with ACB in some form or another, you're a part of our community across the board. Um, but I think with the wealth of, of uh, you know, the structure and how it grew and how needed it was, I, I'm someone it's, you know, the community call structure is always going to be very close to my heart because I put on, pff, my God, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 over, over the, the years, not counting Sunday edition episodes um, between BPI and various other, you know, standout ones, of course, for the George Floyd um, presentations and things but you know that subsector of our community is is close to my heart but I don't want it to ever make other folks who don't participate for whatever reason you know lots lots of folks have jobs and most of the calls are during the day but for whatever reason don't participate feel that they are less a part of the community or god forbid not a part of the community in at all. Um, and if you if you're out there and you have thoughts of that please raise your hand and join the conversation. I know I heard Terry's hand go back up and she was trying to unmute before so Terry, please feel free to unmute and, and share your thoughts. If you came back in you might have to hit that got it Terry Well I
3: apologize I was switching from my phone back to my computer and my headset volume was muted. <laughs> So that Alt A works beautifully. It wasn't Zoom, it was user error. Um, Thank you, Darrow, so much, and Pat for bringing up this subject. Um, As being a new member of ACB, um, I joined in August of 2020. It was a life saving moment for me. Um, It was after all my eye surgeries. And it was starting for me to realize that I'm no longer going to make six figures and be able to do what I love to do um, for the last 30 years. And that is save lives, deliver life, bring life into the world by all the babies that I was on the delivery team with. And my biggest thing is teaching how to do all that with successful resuscitation. And I fell in love with the community and cindy really opened up her arms and i became a facilitator i became a host i i didn't touch the water i didn't put my big toe in the water i went in head first and i never regret it you know health checkup out of sight adventures you know um just a bunch of other um i can't think right now i'm just trying to take a deep breath but i have experienced yesterday um When I went to the community town hall meeting, that the definition of community was not the definition, Anthony, you had described, and that's the definition. The biggest thing that affected me saying I knew I was made the right choice of joining ACB was the March leadership of 2021, where it was fostering voices, choices, and community. And I, that sticks in my heart so much that, you know, calm Florida Council of the Blind when I go out and I promote, you know, my, my, my chapter in the state, um, I use that term because I, it's just so meaning to me. Um, I don't feel that our community should stop anything it's doing. I think it needs to stop and reevaluate that the world has changed around us and that we need to be more, now that we have the time, um, reevaluate terms of, you know, what's a better term than maybe using the word community? Because as you described, um, and yeah, I just um, I just want to let everybody know that uh, we've got some other people that called me after the event yesterday, and you've got your left hand. Everyone put your hands in front of you like you're going to put and clap. You put your hands together and you just start rubbing them. And what do you feel? You feel heat. Well, heat is generating energy. So when there's a little bit of rough time, it's okay to embrace it. But when you generate that heat and that focus on getting a better situation and um i hope people understand that um i love everything this morning i um purposely went in to clubhouse to hear um i love the question of the day was would you choose to live a hundred years in the future or a hundred years in the past and if you weren't there um i was sad that it wasn't recorded because it was an amazing, I'm like, this is the ACB that um, I know, but it's. it was just really sad when yesterday I asked at a community town hall meeting to see what the other members are thinking about the forms that the board have settled in Omaha. And just at the board meeting that lasted till 1237 in the morning, we're going to get it out. And it's like, where are those forms? Just let us read what you got and let us have an input now. And just like when we're working with our local governments to get APSs, accessible public signals, we always tell them, please let us know before you develop it, because it's a lot easier to pay the price up front than afterwards. And I love everything ACB has, but after my event yesterday with the facilitator that ran the community town hall, if I wasn't supported as the president of COM, a Florida Council of the Blind, if I wasn't a board of director of a- Thank you. Diabetics in Action, if I was not on Get Up and Get Moving campaign, I would have. you guys would have never heard my name again and I would have deleted everyone's phone number. That's how hurt and devastated I was.
1: So let me let me um, ask you, we're meant to stay under the safe, welcoming, and respect banner for all, um, any event, under the community, community banner. Um, were you approaching the town hall with the thought process that it was open to anything that affects or that is going on within ECB. Um, I, I know I, I stayed for probably about 10 minutes and when I realized that that wasn't or didn't seem to be the case, um, and, and I went on to do other things that I needed to do. But um, are, are you under the impression that town hall is, is an open place to discuss anything within ECB?
3: That's what I felt the purpose of the call was. And the reason why I stuck around is because the first 10 minutes was just talking about how Zoom community is doing, um, some of the changes that I had not heard at the last, because ho- I'm a host and a facilitator. And, you know, every quarter you need to attend one meeting to maintain those yes. statuses. And I had attended the one in August and there was these changes that they spoke of that i was not even aware and i'm like the quarter's not even over and changes are occurring um and you know some of us still want to maintain that stuff and be able to assist just like um dan spoon always says bring us your time talents and treasures Yeah. yeah and i feel there is and this is my personal feeling That there is this culture creative of only certain people in a certain circle of the community, and that's why yesterday when I went in, I'm like, "This is fantastic! We need an opportunity to talk." So I stuck around because I'm so proud that we're going to hit ten thousand calls here soon. Um, You know, as you know, um, you know, I did calls a lot, and then I drifted off because the rules and was just. The return of investment, the ROI of my time, I would spend anywhere between 20, 10 to 20 hours per call for, you know, out of sight adventures. I
4: mean, yeah, absolutely. and health yep.
3: checkup. And I don't know if Darrow's here, um, but we are going to be um, collaborating. So I know a lot of people were asking me, you know, when are you going to bring back health checkup? And I'm like, I don't know if I will, um, because, but um I, we will collaborate. The team is coming back and we're collaborating with Diabetics in Action. So, Wednesday evening at eight o'clock, um, we will be with Diabetics in Action talking about highs and lows, hypoglycemic, highs and low sugars, emergencies from 911 to the hospital. And um it's been so nice to get a, with Darrow and Jay. And we're like, oh, this is so good. And
1: and it helps us. Harry, I'm going to bring you back to, oh, to back. The, the topic <laughs> at hand. <laughs>
3: Sorry, um, thank I you. I know,
1: and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm host of Sunday Edition. That's the hat I'm wearing right now. So from that perspective, I was really excited at the board meeting, quite honestly. I was too, that, yeah. Hearing that we were going to, you know, and, and that word socialize scares a lot of people. I'm glad that they decided oh, to,
3: I love to change framework.
1: the framework and and um you know basically what what socialization meant in that form was that it was going to be presented to presidents to put on their lists um and maybe the conversation list i'm not, I, i'm not sure what the process itself would have looked or is going to look like but it was going to be that every acp member would have the opportunity in some form to be able to see and comment and i thought to myself well great you know a lot of times these arbitrary decisions come down in community itself. And maybe this town hall is an opportunity to comment on future um, future changes to policy surrounding facilitating, hosting, et cetera, et cetera. But it was more, okay, these are changes we already made and this is why we're doing it. Thank you. Follow, you know, follow the new rules and and have a good day. Um, Whereas I I personally had expected it to be more of a session where we're going to listen and, and, and then respond based upon how we feel about proposed changes. So
3: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, You know, I keep hearing everyone talk about how this is a grassroots organization and what I experienced yesterday was totally not. Um, when I literally asked the facilitator, you know, first I asked, may I? Because I realized that the conversation was not going to be changing, that it was going to stay focused on one aspect, one tool, one part that's done a lot of great things for our members. I realized but not our community. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, our memberships, you know, um,
1: yeah. No, no, I, I'm, I'm okay. So, you know what? Stick around. Let's, let's see if, if folks have some comments on this piece of the conversation and Pat, of course, you know, please raise your hand if, if you have any follow-up comments. Sheila, who's next? Don't
2: have any hand raised right
1: now. All right. So then Terry, going back to that, um, (sighs) wow. Um, Do you do you feel that your experience yesterday wasn't safe, welcoming, and respectful?
3: One hundred percent.
1: All right. Well, then, one of the what do I do
3: about it? Here we go. Code of conduct. How do you know? What do you do? (laughs) I I email Cindy. I mean, like, what do you do? You know, there's no. We're talking about it um i'm a president of calm i want to make sure it's part of my expectations because i'm just like the i forgot her name pat i believe that was sharing that experience with that other organization um it's very good to have clear expectations and clear if you don't do this this is what's going to happen and we don't have that we just know it's either all or nothing and i've had several people that are members that have had the opportunity of being um, involved in unsafe, unwelcoming environments. And when they try to bring attention to just investigate, um, it, it was there was no follow up. There was no this is where it's at, there, you know, and, and you don't know where you're at if you don't have a plan. It's like getting in a car. And I used to do this all the time on my days off. I just get in the car and I go either east or west. I flip the coin. Um, but when you're running an organization our size and what we need to achieve, you can't do. You need to be
1: clear expectations. Yeah, clear
3: expectations, and yeah.
1: All right. Well, you know. Oh, and one I'm of the here to that- say
3: I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm too stubborn.
1: <laughs> good. But that was well, my good.
3: reaction versus my response. So my response today is is. I want to say, Anthony, thank you so much for your show. Um, I was very concerned of using this platform to come out, but I felt this is the only true open place that I could come and talk. I, felt, I, I always feel welcome, um, safe, and protected when you have your heavy discussions. And I want to say thank you. Well, thank you.
1: Thank you for that. You know, I, I want this to be a very safe space. And, and you know, one of the tools that we do have in place is our meetings are all recorded, including this one. So I'm, I'm sure that I can go back and be, and be reviewed. And I really hope it is. Um, stick around. I heard some hands go up. So maybe we're going to get some other perspectives on this. But I, I do I do believe this in my heart. And that's why I'm still with ACB. I think we want to do our best. I think we want to do well. We may be bogged down in processes. We may be bogged down in in one sector thinking it's this way and another sector thinking it's that way. But it's conversations like this and hopefully future town halls that will be a little bit more inclusive that we can get to those places together. So Sheila, I heard some hands go up. Who's next?
2: Harry Patrico.
1: All right. Oh, board member, you 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 hit Peter (laughs) Terry. Me Terry, and go on.
7: (laughs) I think we've met once or twice in the past. Hey Terry. (laughs) Hey Terry. (laughs) Um, and Darrow mentioned that at least one board member had already spoken. So I said, I guess I'm going to have to get back on here again. So you can blame Darrow for it. (laughs) Um. I listened to a good bit of yesterday's town meeting, town hall, whatever they call it. Um, There were some things that came up in that, that that very much disturbed me uh, with some ideas that they're having that I think absolutely need to be discussed. I think there's a lot that needs to be done with, that can be done with the ACB community calls that Uh, have been pushed aside because not, and sometimes I think it is. I think that Terry's right. Sometimes it's not the right person that's made the suggestion. Um, There's, you know, there are, there are a lot of issues with it. I really do believe that, which is probably one of the reasons why my election to the board was so narrow because (laughs) so many of the, community people were seriously politically banded together um, and and recommendations went out to many of those people. I've gotten phone calls from people who have told me about recommendations that they got, that, uh, that they should not vote, that they should vote, not that they should not vote for me, but that they should vote young and that would be wise. Um, you know, that wow. kind of thing. Um, there's, there are some real issues. I've had issues with with the community calls for a long time. I still have visibilities on community, primarily because so many of my callers call in by phone. And so they don't have a good way. If I don't advertise it on community, they don't have a good way of getting the information of what the show is going to be about because they don't necessarily have email. And that's one of the reasons why I was very much against using the term socialization of the documents, uh, because there are so many. We do have, you know, I know that some of the statistics that came out recently were not very favorable toward people with hard copy uh, requests. As far as voting was concerned, it was pretty awful. Um, But keep in mind that. 600 and something of our members wanted hard copy of their um unique voter codes for instance that's still a pretty significant and the number of braille forums that we put out in hard copy is still pretty significant and many of those people do not have email and we need to come up with another way i've made a suggestion or two that i'm hoping are going to get followed up on of how we can reach out to those people much more effectively <clears throat> um, in, in the future. And I think that's what we need to do. Uh, I, I'm This is no great revelation, but I think, because I think a lot of people have known, I have had um, some serious questions about things as far as community is concerned. I think uh, uh, the community calls a concern. I think that we all need to recognize that we live not only that the problem with the word community is we live in a global community we live in a blindness and low vision community we yep. live in the ACB community and we have the community calls and that's an overusage of the word i guess um, i think that there are a lot of things that you're going to see that um i'm not sure that some people really like the idea of my being on the board because there are a, a, a number of issues that i think need to be um, hashed out a little bit, a little bit better than they have been in the past. And I'm probably going to be the most unloved member of the board. I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I think you're going to get, uh, you know, quite a bit of love, um, to, to combat the non unlove. Um, i I want to ask you for for some clarification because I think this will help listeners out there, you know, and I have been wrong before, and if I'm wrong in this, please you know this is clarification. um listening and I listen to every single moment of it, of course i, I had an invested reason, one of the other new board members happens to be someone I care very much for <laughs> um, as I care for you and Rachel and Connie and okay, all the board, but you know that one is just a little bit more. Um, but I digress, as I'm known to Guess do. <laughs> my, my interpretation around that portion of the conversation was that, um, I don't want to use the word socializing again, um, passing the framework around for the membership was a test for future, not only for the code of conduct, but how we can get the most efficient um, and broad range member inputs For all sorts of initiatives going forward, that this was going to be uh, this town hall um, structure of putting information out and then opening up conversation in a town hall structure was going to be a a framework that would then be turned into a process for how to do this for things like community, things like special interest, affiliate, um, you know, concerns, etc. You know, anything that would need to be turned into a policy or a procedure, you know, going forward that this would be the framework that we use to, I, what's another word I've been socialized, but to, you know, again, get the most effective membership input. Did I interpret that wrong? And if those of us that are out there, if that was what we thought, did we interpret that wrong?
7: Um, I don't know that you interpreted it wrong. It certainly isn't quite the way I interpreted it, but I think that could be because I'm gonna ask you a question. Um, and that is, how do we get the people, you know, as someone said earlier, the ACB community calls are are uh, participated in by a subset of our organization. They are Absolutely. not the majority of our members. So what we really need to be doing is communication that's going to get out to ideally every single member, but at least to a majority of the membership and whether we've had 10,000 calls or 1,000 calls, the question is how many of our actual members are are in those numbers on a regular basis? And I think that that's a, probably, though I don't have justification for it, but my sense is that, that's a, isn't it, that it is not the majority of the calls. That's number one. Number two. Let me let me make this suggestion to you. This Don't is wait. something that this is something that I've brought up, and let me ask you: Would we or would we not be able to reach far more of our members if we had a like we have the um, eight hundred, the old eight hundred number, the eight hundred system that they put the community calls on every day? Um, That they put the listing of the calls on every day. What if we had one that put even just put ACB related issues that are on media? That because so many people have, though they may not be into email or something or Zoom, but they have an echo device in their house. And And in that way, we could reach so many more of our members. Ideally, I think it'd be great if we had um, individual lines for each of the streams uh, for ACB media on the phone so that people could know what's coming up when on on the various streams of ACB media. But that's probably further down the road. But I think that our quote-unquote socialization of things should include a way to Get to let people know all of this. But Terry,
3: let me ask you when I was listening to the board meeting, didn't that get voted down? Like, wasn't it stopped that they're not going to hand out the framework, that they are going to just keep discussing and create another one before they present to us members? No, no, no. Okay. So, what was the first one that failed? Because I, listen, I stayed up with you guys. And well, Terry,
1: Terry, all right, Terry. Oh, let us, let, let us, us, let us so try this. That was discussed. was that was it, discussed, and it was it was actually shot down. The final motion was it was going to be, uh, uh, whatever that word that they chose instead of socialization, it was going to be sent out to all the presidents and various other lists, so that it would have as much exposure to the membership as possible, and then there would be town halls held. For the feedback, that was the final motion that passed.
7: And other other ways, because I specifically put in there that this needed to go beyond community. That that (laughs) it started out that they were going to do community calls on it. And that's when I said it needs to go past beyond community. We need to get it out to to our members in other ways besides community calls. This is the communication. And and what the difference Uh, was. But the, the other difference is, is that what they were talking about with the framework is that there's a, there are draft copies of the, <clears throat> excuse me, we have drafts of the documents. Those need to be, they do need to be polished, for the lack of a better term, edited. Um, they need to be cleaned up. I personally think they need to be consolidated. Uh, they need to be straight to, to be more clear for the before they're put out to everyone, and i'm hoping that Chris Bell and his committee have been doing that so that we might get some kind of an update on a Tuesday night. I don't know that that's going to happen because the agenda's already closed, but hopefully we'll at least get some kind of a we'll get some kind of an update on where that all stands right now, but that's what it was those were drafts, and they were not the, anything like the final documents to go out.
1: I want to answer that (laughs) clarify. I want to answer Terry's question as a as a communications person. Um I won't call myself an expert, but you know, working with the Associated Press for 10 plus years and all the various other communications projects I've done gives me an insight. Um, And and from my perspective, and again I'm only a Sunday edition host at this moment, but from my perspective, we have a you know a fairly good tool called Constant Contact. Um, And so when the drafts are polished to a point where they're ready for member input, we should utilize Constant Contact, our ACB Media Stream 10, which is always community information, um, and the phone line where you can call in and get your community call information. You could also press a button and get the document information. Um, As far as you know, getting the feedback itself, I think the town halls are great, but they shouldn't be the only tool. There should be an email address or a contact point that you can also send feedback to so that you don't have to participate in a town hall, but you can use your power of your ACB membership to forward your feelings, comments, suggestions to what's proposed and that they can all be collated and collected. It's ambitious. It's ambitious that the board decided at this point to do it this way. But since they did decide to do it this way, the clock is ticking. That document is supposed, based upon what was voted on at the board meeting, that document is supposed to include all of the membership um, suggestions, so on and so forth, for the October board meeting. So the clock is ticking. If the membership itself doesn't see slash hear slash experience the documents. They can't get the feedback. They can't then be, uh, you know, worked into the quote unquote living document to then be presented as a formal document at the board meeting. So time is ticking. And I think a lot of folks misunderstood yesterday's community call or community call uh, commission subsector, whatever that thing is called committee um, meeting with an open ACB town hall so I, I you know secondary your other uh, so your other protestation terry i absolutely agree with i think at some point we need to do some brand changing and some name changing so that we get clarification of what is community and what is community call all right I, I know i heard up? a couple sure is that pat yeah yeah okay yes please first
6: of all terry thank you for this dialogue I felt really badly for people who responded because I started to take the conversation away from the media and people were criticized for responding to my, my comments. And that made me feel personally very badly for those people. I thought when they said town hall that it meant town hall. There was no, nothing up on the list saying, you may not discuss X or Y or Z. I don't regret saying what I said. I thought what I said was appropriate. I think what I said today was appropriate, and I'm grateful to the board. But they—it has been said at a board meeting that we will receive documents. Yeah, that the time is clicking, uh, the clock is clicking. The other thing I wish to say, and this touches to the future of Schaumburg, there are a lot of people who have broken laptops or are not going to 11 quite yet, or whatever may not have full access to Zoom codes. And I'm um, right now I'm fighting this COVID thing and I hope to be better in nine months. Um, the, you know, A lot of people may not be desirous to go running all over creation, attending meetings, and might want to use Zoom uh, to participate in future convention events. How do people get these Zoom codes? And no one has ever really thought about that. I really appreciate the labor of love of every board member and I suppose there are a few that don't, uh, agree with me, uh, at Terry Pacheco, I voted for you. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I believe in proper, uh, creative contributions to an organization that I believe in. And, uh, if it's a Chan meeting, town hall meeting, if it's a closed meeting, it has to be defined as a closed meeting. In my opinion, I don't mean to be harsh, but, um, uh, also, if we're going to have a code of conduct, there has to be a clear understanding, is, in my opinion, at least, I don't know everything, I don't propose to, a means of implementing it. And I thank you so much. And I'd also like to see uh, exactly what we're doing now with open topics more often than we have on the community calls. Because I think this is very healthy for an organization that fights for civil rights. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I do want to respond to one thing. I, I think we learned a lot uh, through the virtual conventions, and then uh, absolutely this year with the hybrid convention. Um, Deb Cook Lewis, I'm going to shout her out, and you know everybody out there knows we agree on a lot of things, and we disagree just as fiercely on a lot of things. But I think she did an amazing job getting out the codes and information for this year's convention. But there were opportunities for learning. And I think that the team are looking at those opportunities for next year. So um, hopefully they will, for lack of a better word, circulate, (laughs) aka socialize, those ideas with the (laughs) membership before they become policy for next year's convention. Um, And I think they're going in the right direction. They started um, what was called the special interest circle, as well as the convention planning meetings, um, at You know, every month leading up to convention. So a lot of those ideas coming into this year's convention were circulated with leaders. But maybe this next year, we can also circulate it with members because even though some of us are leaders, we're also members and we may get some really great ideas from members who aren't quite ready to be leaders yet. All right, we are coming to the end of the show. I can take one more hand but we will stay for a few minutes off air to, to finish this conversation. Sheila. Anthony,
7: Anthony, this is Terry. one more time. I'm sorry, but I have to leave. My doorbell just rang and I have company coming. So they probably don't need to hear all of us going on at this point. Um, they probably, (laughs) I have another, it's another whole group that I need to meet with this evening, this afternoon. Um, So, Well, thank you for being here very much. Thank you very much for bringing up these open topics. And I'm going to give you one more topic that you can think about. All right. One of the things that came up on yesterday's call is that they are pondering, I guess they, I believe they, is the community support committee, Mm
1: -hmm.
7: that all Zoom calls will have to be, may have to be on ACB accounts.
1: Yeah, that definitely needs to be socialized, Oops. circulated, frameworked. That's a conversation <laughs> that needs to happen as a conversation. All right, we'll take one. Terry, have a take great care. rest of the day. Thank you for being here. And we'll take one more hand before we go off it, off ACB air.
2: You don't have any.
1: All right, then, Pat Terry. I want to thank you so very much for bringing up this. Uh, Pat, yeah, Pat and, and Terry. bringing up this portion of the conversation i will do another open hot topic show um not next week but the following week i'll do an hour of hot topics so we can circulate and socialize and conversate um (laughs) i want to thank everybody who participated today i want to say never forget 9-11 never forget what it means never get forget what happened and never forget how strong we are when we join hands whether it be virtually or physically in person. I want to thank Sheila Young for being host. She's amazing. And Katie for stepping in for Byron today. You are amazing. And everybody out there who takes two hours out of their Sunday to be part of Sunday Edition, thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another great show. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media stream one that's american council of Vine blind media or wherever you listen to your podcasts episodes drop every week at 1 p.m on sundays and you can email us at sunday edition ac all one word sunday edition with the letters ac at gmail.com let's brunch again together next sunday